that special. Like the only the difference between successful people and people who don't make it is persistence. You know, I mean, they're really, really brilliant, talented people. You know, like the worst thing in the world is wasted talent. Who the smartest people? If you don't work at it, if you don't keep growing. Um, that's why I say you have to know what you don't know. If you think you've got it all figured out, if you're cocky, if you're like, don't worry about it, I don't need this, like you're dead in the water because the world, look how much the world has changed even in the last five years. Keep growing, keep learning, keep knowing, keep connecting with people. Hello and welcome back to I Want Our Job, the podcast. Today we are lucky to have B. Arthur joining us. B is a startup founder and a licensed therapist specializing in women's issues. She has worked with domestic violence survivors. Recently, B has been a leader in using telemedicine for mental health counseling. She founded the company In Your Corner, offering counseling services through video. B was on Shark Tank and was the first African-American woman to be accepted in the Y Combinator Accelerator program. B's parents are both immigrants from Ghana, and B was born and raised in Houston. So we talk about B's family, her cultural influences, advice on entering the therapy field, or becoming a startup founder. We think you will love Bee as much as we do, so we're going to speak with Bee again in a few months to catch up with all her business ventures. Bee is in the process of closing in your corner and pivoting to a new model called Inside the Wire. Here's part one of our conversation with the talented Bee Arthur. Hello, Bee. Welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. I'm like, I love the concept and thank you. Yeah, we're honored to have you. And so um, how about we start, you, you're a therapist, and let's start with I'm just curious, when when did you decide to, to take this career path? It's actually really interesting. As much as, you know, I've always been a very ambitious person, but I came to New York in my, when I was 21 years old, and I just wanted to be major. And, you know, I came in for some reason thinking I was going to be major in nonprofit, and then I was going to be major in finance, and then I decided to be major in uh, real estate. And real estate is kind of where I kind of the rubber hit the road. I was really good at getting people to talk about personal things because selling homes is so personal, um, you know, especially when you think about the future and how you imagine your life to be. So, I eventually I had a lot of clients who got referrals because I would be like, well, girl, do you want to have kids with him? Or what do you think? Like, do you think you're going to stay married forever? You know, like you don't want to be on this side of town, you know, like just really getting people to be thoughtful about their lives. And, and one of my clients one day was like, you should be a therapist. And at that time I had tried like literally like four different careers, not just jobs, but different fields in like the first year that I had been in New York. And I was like, uh, yeah, okay. So I went to Columbia, I shadowed a class, and I applied for it. So that was one of those things where like, you know, you, you eventually find your path because psychology fit me like a glove. So I went to Columbia, I did a dual master's in counseling, clinical psych, graduated in 2008. And that started everything. I love that story, and I'm giggling because as I talk to you, I can see why people would say that because you seem so open to me. <laughs> I have very poor boundaries. People think you need good boundaries to be a therapist. You need poor boundaries to be a good therapist. Well, intuitive, and you just, you know, you have, you're someone that people immediately want to talk to. Um, and, you know, they say that when you're trying to figure out what to do, ask people around you what what they yes. think you're good at, right? And that's what happened. People recommended yes. you go into therapy. All right. So can you talk to us a little about, about your jobs um, after you graduated? Because those are, you worked as a domestic violence specialist and um, mm-hmm. counseling people with disabilities. So what were those experiences like and how did they impact uh, your life and what did you love about the jobs? 
Yes, and thank you so much for saying that. One thing I always tell people, because I do do a lot, because I felt really lost during my 20s, and a lot of people from New York, and just in general do. But I just want to say to Polina's listeners, and I want her job listeners, she, you are an excellent interviewer. You set pre-questions. You did all your research. I do podcasts all the time. So I just want to say shout out to Polina. <laughs> no, no, you, it shows you care. Um, so to that point about um, what you care about. So... I started out my career after I graduated. Um, actually, I did my my first company is what started my second company. Um, while I was in grad school, I did my thesis on stay-at-home moms in New York City, Manhattan specifically, because I happened to work for a lot of stay-at-home moms on the Upper East Side, and these were very well-to-do, very ambitious women, and we were just like, you know, girlfriends, and they would always pay me to stay a little bit later, and I was like, wow, do y'all miss, like, adult conversation and they were just like yeah it sucks you know I'm used to hanging out with really interesting people and I'm stuck with this baby you know especially in the first year it's like a huge adjustment in a place like New York and I just got really into that idea of like how people told us we were supposed to live and just the idea of like you were a woman before you were a mother so I actually did my thesis call and it was called I am someone's child too about how the depression in the first year of parenthood people don't talk about it but it's actually the first year of parenthood uh, is the highest rate of divorce and I did to it and I started my first company which is called me time um based on that um idea i worked i worked i had like a lot of jobs when i was in school i also worked this place called the core club and it's kind of like soho house but for finance people and we wanted to start a place that kind of had on-site childcare along with um grown-up playdates like instead of like breastfeeding classes i also want to do like cocktail making classes and trapeze lessons and just anything that just like let you forget about your kid for just like an hour or so and so that was my idea i worked on it like yeah so i was really excited about it i was working on that simultaneously with my thesis i got an investor nothing crazy just like 10 grand and after i graduated in 2008 um, we were, our model was based on like $500 a month fees for these Upper East Side moms. And that was when the crash happened. And mm-hmm. all the women I was targeting were the wives of all the men who were getting laid off in droves. So it failed very fast and very furious. And um, at the time, I hadn't been telling anybody about it because I just, you know, was still in school. I felt like a student. And, um, but as a result, I couldn't talk to anybody about it. So even though I was a therapist, a new practitioner in the space, all my professors and friends were therapists and I knew the value of it. I felt so alone and I was just like, wow, like if I'm an advocate for this exact experience, why is it so hard for me to reach out? And that's when I started this company, which is um, Pretty Padded Room was what it started as in 2011. And I was 27 and I just wanted to target millennial women because that was me. I feel like so many transitions happen between the ages of 25 to 35, you know, career building, new motherhood, getting married, job switching, all that stuff. And so I just really, what where, where me time failed, where I was trying to address a, a market, I was the market this time. And so that's how I started the company. But yeah, at the time I was a domestic violence counselor and I loved that job because a lot of times when you're a therapist, um, just getting your licensing hours and just kind of getting your skin, um, um, you get thrown in kind of the, the the toughest populations. Like I worked with addicts in recovery. I worked with schizophrenics. I worked in the New York City public school system. And, you know, there's not a lot of wins. You know, with people, people are creatures of habit. So it's, you feel sometimes you take it personally if you don't see improvements very quickly. But with domestic violence, you know, they're not crazy, uh, quote unquote, but their lives are crazy. And so as soon as they're removed from those elements, you start to see improvements very quickly. So I really, really loved that job. And I would have done it forever. Like, but it wasn't emotionally or financially sustainable. You know, all of us had 
you know, Ivy League educations, all of us had spoke at least two languages because we worked with a huge immigrant population and all of us were getting paid 38,000. So, um, and my degree cost twice as much as that. So for me, it was like, I love therapy. It saved my life. It helped me find my passion. How do I make it scalable? How do I like increase the value for more people? And, and so it was right around the time, um, where I was still kind of nursing my wounds after the failure of mealtime. And that's how Pretty Padded Room was born, which eventually became In Your Corner. I love that. And and the way that you jump on opportunities, you see it and you make it happen. So can you tell our <laughs> listeners about In Your Corner and the business model? Yeah. So In Your Corner um, now is a uh, subscription model. So the part of the things that people don't know about therapists is that it's kind of like in romantic comedies, it's kind of like being an architect or a journalist. Like it seems like this really glamorous job that people have and they have a great apartments. But what people don't know is most therapists get paid in peanuts. A lot of us start in social work. A lot of us, you know, are getting, you know, grant work and things like that. So you don't get paid very much. It's charity work, especially if you make it to your doctorate. So I wanted people to first of all make it easier for therapists to make a living because what we do is important and very hard and I didn't want to see the industry go away just by limitations on the on the consumer side on the user side just people think that therapy is really expensive and intimidating and inconvenient and on the on the supply side it's just like you get really burned out really quickly and you don't get paid for it so I decided to build it on the subscription model I said mental health should be as much of priority as physical health so if we do it month to month then, you know, whether or not somebody goes twice a week or once a month, the therapist will still get paid. And if we do uh, kind of an approachable, like affordable rate, and so our most popular plan is $200 a month, then it's more sustainable than $200 an hour. So yeah, so that's how we started. It was just me and I just started doing focus groups and just telling everybody about it. Don't keep it to yourself because that's what happened to me the first time. Like People think you need to sign an NDA just to you know get a meeting with somebody. No, tell as many people as possible, especially important people, especially people who have been successful. They'll give you ideas. They'll introduce you to people. And that's what happened. I told way more people about pretty padded room than I did about me time and it got me a lot further a lot faster and so that's how we started um, I was still working my first year uh, in domestic violence and then I left um, right around 2012 and yeah 2013 it really picked up for us so it's a long road but it was worth it absolutely and so how big are you today and um, like how many people work for for the company and client size or what's your growth like yes so it's really interesting. We are actually in a very interesting place. We are transitioning or pivoting, as it's called in the startup world. Um, I've been bootstrapping this company for five years. Uh, I literally just started with you know friends and family round, and just no. I started a counseling company, or so I thought, and I ended up running a tech platform. So there was a really large learning curve. From there, I went on to be on Shark Tank. I was in Y Combinator. I did a TED Talk, you know, and I just kept learning and learning. And um, and I'm tired now. And like when I first started, there was a lot of dead bodies in the space. People were already weird about therapy, let alone putting that much information online. So um, when it came to um, scaling, we kept going. We did pretty well. Like to date, in the life of the company, we made almost a million dollars in gross revenue. Yeah. Um, and we have 24 therapists. We have 19 who are taking active clients. But I feel like with something like therapy, it's kind of of a nice to have not a must have so I feel like in order to scale it needs to has an enterprise component um, enterprise means like business to business in case for your readers but um, I something I got really interested in and actually something that caused us to rebrand from pretty padded room to in your corner uh, is that we started to see a lot of active duty military on the site and I got really into that population because you know on days when it's really tough I really like the mentality and kind of the stories of athletes and you know warriors and armed forces people just because you can't 
can't stop to think about your circumstances. You can't wallow and eat a bunch of burrito and watch Netflix. You know, you have to keep your mind sharp. And I, I got really into the idea of like emotional endurance. So um, I would love to be there for active duty military. They're already used to communicating remotely. They're already, you know, kind of isolated. And also their families, their families do the tour with them. So that's something I care about a lot. So we are actually in the process of closing down in your corner and then and probably around Q3 relaunching as Inside the Wire. So I'm really excited. That is so exciting. And I just want to say, I think the business model and what you're building is so important. And like you said, um, it's a different mindset of people taking their mental health as, you know, they pay $100 for a gym membership. Why not pay a subscription to yeah. mental health? Because think about some of this, you know, the, the, the ridiculous mistakes you make in your when you're young or any any age. And just an hour with somebody who's really qualified can really help you completely change the course of your life in an hour. Um, that's what's happened to me. So, Exactly. Um, and often the people that go to the gym, the reason you get fat in the first place is because of mental health stuff. Yeah, I, like, exactly. I all my weight when I'm depressed. <laughs> you know, so absolutely. It's, it's an investment. It's a worthy investment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because you're trying to avoid or, or hide or, right, not deal exactly. with issues. Um, Nailed it. Yep. So much respect for, for what you're building and excited about the, the direction you're taking it. And um, what what were your early influences? Tell us about you. Where did you grow up and how did you become so awesome? <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what I mean by good questions, y'all. Um, so I my family is from Ghana and West Africa, so I'm a first-generation American. I was the first. Both of my brothers and sister were um, born in Ghana. And then um, I was born in Houston, Texas, where Beyonce is from from uh, <laughs> so that I think has something to do with it but I think the best part of being um, first generation or third culture is that when people ask like well how did you know you want to be an entrepreneur like in in my parents case everybody in my family has at least postdoctorate degrees everybody in my family has at least tried to start a company and I think that when you come from Africa or any developing nation, there is no kind of like you file paperwork to set up a corporation, you know, like there's, there's just so many broken, unfortunately, so many broken government structures. And so literally these are workaround cultures and these are entrepreneurial cultures. Like you have to make it happen because there's no system in place to kind of help you get there. And so my parents, both of my parents had a master's degree. My dad had a a doctorate before he came and he came to 1980s Texas. He was black and he had an accent. And so he had to work super hard and find a way to make it work when nobody would hire him. Same thing. My mom started her company um, when I was in seventh grade and now they have 13 homes. We have personal care homes in Houston, Texas, but nobody would hire her. She was a teacher in Ghana and she ended up having to be a hotel security person um, when we were growing up for years. Like that was what I remember her first job being. So the entrepreneurial spirit is really, really, really conducive to the immigrant mentality. Like there is no excuse, especially from Africa, because, you know, we don't have the same hangups on race or power as um, black Americans do. Because if you don't get something in Ghana, it's not because you're black, you know, it's because, you know, you didn't like hustle hard enough, you didn't find a way, you just, you have to get creative. And so in some ways, I've been really grateful that, you know, I was raised with that, because we didn't raise any money for the first three years, we didn't raise any money until our fourth year. And when you don't have money, you're forced to get really creative and organic and earned traffic is much more likely to lead to engagement and long term brand loyalty and things like that than it is for paying for users. So um, yeah, growing growing up with African parents and growing up in Texas. Um, also growing up in Texas just gave you, gives you a lot of confidence. Uh, Texans are really obnoxious and proud of things like for, <laughs> for like, like chili and cheese. Um, so I think those two, uh, character dynamics really helped out. 
Yeah. Uh, your parents sound amazing. So your mother was They're amazing in, in teaching. And what about your dad? What kind of, what was the doctorate? Is it scientific field or? Oh no, he's not an MD, but he did a PhD in public health. Um, he actually ran the department of immunization for the city of Houston health department for years. Um, they started the bring your daughter to work day when, um, when I was in elementary school and I remember going, cause you know, my dad, he's like low key, he's really calm and going and he had like a corner office and everybody called him Dr. Arthur. And, um, one thing that my dad used to tell us, unfortunately I don't speak my parents' language. Our tribe is Fonty, but, um, our, my dad would tell us, you know, when I first came and I applied for a job, they said, you know, you're qualified but you're black and you have an accent. And in the four EEOD, you could say that to people, you know, and, wow. and nobody would get in trouble. So he just worked really, really hard. And just, I mean, literally, like, I mean, he before I started a company, my parents and I are so much closer now that I have done because there's just things that they don't tell you, you know, and like there was always food on the table. You know, they never complained to us, at least. They always seemed tired, but they never seemed stressed. So my dad had to get his doctorate twice. Um, and, they, and he came to this country with just books. So, um, yeah, it's kind of just like a put your head down mentality. So my dad's pretty dope. My mom is really dope. So, so I should be dope. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you model that? How does that happen? That somebody, um, do you think it just rubbed off because you see that they worked hard? So you worked hard or. Yeah, it's, that's a really good question. Actually, nobody's there. it's interesting because, um, one thing that my mom used to tell us later, like when, when my mom start, first started her company, so personal care homes are like nursing homes, but in private homes. Mm -hmm. So you get more attention and it feels more personal. So like three to five people live there as opposed to a hundred. And when my mom first started, she literally was just a home health aide and you know, home health aides mostly get $200 a week, you know, at least in New York they do. So my mom bought a house and got all these licenses and put the wheelchair ramps. I have no idea how they did it. I, I mean, they must've gotten loans cause I know they have bad credit, but I mean, they have, they have no idea. <laughs> idea and I only know that because by the time I went to college they were like oh your aunt has to sign for your student loans um but my mom would just go away at night and because she couldn't hire a staff she'd spend all this money on the home and all the renovations she would just go away and we were, and I, you know, I was in like volleyball camp and stuff like that. They were always just driving around and they had people to drive us around. Like they just, my mom is like a blue collar hero. Like literally one time my car broke down and she's like, don't worry, Jose's going to come get you. And you know, just like literally when I went to college, people would be like, I, like, I remember my wisdom teeth came in and I didn't have insurance. I don't remember why, but I called my mom and um, I was like, any painkillers? And the doctor was like, you know, I really can't do this without seeing you, but your mom has done a lot for me. Um, I think what we saw, especially my mom, She's really, my mom's the oldest of eight and she's very, um, really like childlike as a result because she had to be, my, my grandmother can't read or write in Ghana. And so my mom, in our culture, the first daughter is a really big deal. You help cook, you help, help take care of the family. So by the time my mom had kids, she was such a kid. She just was like, would play little jokes and, you know, she'd just be really sweet and sneaky. Like she was like our kid's sister, you know? So, but when it, came to like her business she was about that life like she you know people like were like miss mary da 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 they call her sister they call her boss like you know like she was really nice to people and i worried people would take advantage of her think she was dumb like i've seen her interview people but she doesn't fuck around like she just like it was about her business she got things done and i think what i learned from my parents is just executing is way more important than talking about it than dreaming about it you know i meet people all the time i advise a lot of startup people and you know they're like i want to do this or i want to be this you know and i want to have an impact on this my parents never told us what they were doing all of a sudden we had a car all of a sudden we had eight properties you know never they never told us like i said i didn't know anything about it and i almost wish they had prepared us but maybe i would have been more scared you know it wasn't until my first company failed and i was just like her 
heartbroken and lying on the floor. And my mom was like, well, did I ever tell you about, you know, like the first two years of the company? And we didn't know because she was just working and waiting because we had one client for like 18 months. And my mom just went and did it. And my dad was still working. All of his money went to my mummy and her company and yeah, I think it's just really important to do, you know, and, and even if it doesn't work out, like nobody knows, but you, you, you learn from that and then you move on. So yeah, we're worker bees for sure. So how many siblings do you have? Yeah, girl, we're five. We're five. Oh, oh my God, your, your parents managed all of that with five kids. I'm leaving business. <laughs> God. Yeah. And the oldest two are my half brother and sister. But yeah, all of us are. Yeah, they really. And that's why, you know, I'm not married now, but I take it very seriously because, you know, I, I did a lot of couples counseling and I always see couples that are like totally in love. And I, and I just very strongly feel that like, you know, the person you love isn't always the person you're meant to build a life with. You know, I, I feel like if my mom found out today that my dad like got drunk and cheated like 20 years ago, would she care? No, because you can have sex with anybody. You can't like have five kids with everybody. You can't build a business. You can't move and start a life in another country with just anybody. So um, their relationship is definitely important to me and helped me um, focus on what matters and what doesn't. Absolutely. And gosh, there's so many directions we could take this call because based on your, <laughs> your family and your counseling experience, you have wisdom in so many areas. <laughs> um, it's so funny. I don't feel wise, but yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's just, you, you just pay attention. You, I just, everybody goes through stuff. The only guarantee in this life is that you will continue to be challenged and life changes with, with or without you. So I just think it's really important that, you know, you be a part of that process. you be a present and proactive. And if you can positive part of the change, so things don't just keep happening to you, you know, like I, my twenties was a roller coaster, but I was awake through all of it. And I just kept it moving. That's the only way to keep it moving. If you see like it's part of a bigger purpose or you at least go, oh, okay, I won't do that next time rather than wallowing. So that's really, really important. Yeah. So how about some, um, lessons learned as you were, as you're launching this business and, um, examples of how you kept it moving when you got stuck or maybe mistakes that you mm -hmm. made. Do you have any that come to mind? I think it's really important to know what you don't know. Um, I have always been, I think because I'm non-technical and I'm a therapist first and the idea of even being in a startup was never like, I didn't know you could sell your company for millions. I started my company in New York. New York tech is very different. Like we hustle out here. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, in, in the Valley, you know, like people, it's true. Like at New York tech or like, London Tech or New Orleans Tech versus SF is like out there they start companies because that's what people do. You know, they raise a million dollars to see if it works and if it doesn't, they move on to the next thing. That's no big deal for them. But if you're out here where people only invest in like data or enterprise and you don't code and you know, you have to be revenue first. You have to have revenue potential first. You have to build a business. So I never thought of myself as a startup founder. I actually hate when people are like, How do I join a startup? I'm like, don't worry about that. Build a business. Build a business. Startups fail every day. You know, small business, medium business owners, those are the things that like legacies are built on. You you know, and those are really long roads. So you can't be thinking, I'm going to turn and burn this thing in one to two years. Uh, you know, I'm an IPO in five years. Like that never works. Like if you're getting in this to make a hell of money, then you're in it for the wrong reason. You have to solve a problem. You have to do it well and you have to have the right team around you. Like those are the only things that matter. So at the beginning, I would say, um, I always tell people have a very short memory, but have a very long vision. Um, because once you get to a certain growth stage, literally your job as CEO is just to put out fires. I mean, all 
all you do. All you do, Paulina, is, is hear about people's problems, your clients' problems, your employees' problems, the product problems, and you just have to find a way to make it work. I mean, you literally pull out of, pull a rabbit out of your hat, you know, just to keep going sometimes. So um, really, 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 you have to be, remember why you started and focused on your goal and, and tr- do your best and, and, and also know what's working and what doesn't. You know, I think that's the best thing I learned from being a therapist going into business, Um you really have to know, like, all therapists do, we don't tell you what to do with your life. You tell us stuff, and then we say, okay, well, these are the patterns that have brought you here, and this is what worked and what hasn't worked, you know? So the next time this comes up, in order to change course, don't do that, <laughs> you know? So that's, so again, it's just being awake while you're learning. So, um, yeah, I definitely say just go slow and steady wins the race. I think... I can see why being a therapist, you're so well-equipped to start a business, right? You're not going to be in denial. You're going to notice the pattern. Nope. <laughs> People who are listening and thinking, I'd love to be a therapist. What advice uh, would you give them on Ooh. the career or, um, yeah, are taking that kind of step? Um, I actually think the field is changing slowly but surely. Um, I think our current model is huge. I mean, when when we started this, the last numbers I got were there's $135 billion spent globally on mental health services. 55 billion of that alone is in the United States. And that is just documented. That's like hospitals, mental health agencies, you know, psychiatrists and medication. People like me in private practice, we don't report our numbers to anybody, you know, except maybe the IRS, but they don't know how many clients we have and nothing like that. So it's actually a lot bigger than that. And I think when you do something like online therapy, by making the process easier and more anonymous and more accessible and more affordable, it makes the, the market bigger. So the opportunity is huge. I do, however, think that the Freudian model needs to die. I think that we have to change the conversation about what therapy actually is and whom it's for. Um, just alone from my fundraising experience, People are always like, oh, well, so who does this? Like, who is it for? Like, do schizophrenic people have money to pay for therapists? You know, and I feel like people are just so confused. And, and it's just kind of like, you know, therapy, I really think, I hate when people say, oh, this market is for everybody. But therapy is something that literally everybody could use. So it's just crazy that more people don't. Like, every, I think when people think therapy, they think problems. But all we do is offer solutions. So I think by making it more accessible, you know, with me, within your corner, it was like in your corner, in your pocket. I wanted everybody have a therapist you know so I think that if you do want to be a therapist you can't be one of those therapists that are holding the industry back and uber focused on things like you know clinical and treatment plans and discharge plans a lot of really I've seen a lot of really talented therapists get burnt out in social work one of my old supervisors when I was in DV actually um, couldn't afford a cell phone she worked from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. and she couldn't afford a cell phone she was the director of this entire program she did fundraising she supervised all of us she took her own clients and she was only making 50 grand so whenever somebody tells me they want to be a therapist I often don't recommend it but I also say that that when people tell me they want to start a business. So, I mean, it's not easy, you know, but you have to love it. So if you really care about people and you love talking to people and you love to see progress, then absolutely. But you're going to spend a lot of money. You don't need to get your doctorate. I don't have my doctorate. Um, uh, you only need your doctor if you want to do research or teach, for example. But, um, yeah, I would just say shadow a couple classes. There's a lot of information available online. Um, I know that coaching, you know, life coaching has much better branding than our field. 
but it's a very short-term thing. You know, some of us, we stay with our clients for years. Um, on, on our site, like the median length of time that people stay is five months. We've certainly had people who've been with us for more than two years. So, and you know, people drop in and out. I, I want it to be a supplement to people's lives. And, and also now people are, you know, there's VR therapy is happening and there's still the majority of therapy that's recorded in this country is based on treatment plans and hospital plans and people going in for an hour once a week and talking about their dad and stuff like that. No, I mean, the majority of what therapy in the future is going to look like is there's, they do, um, you know, people are so connected to our machines and people are much more likely to disclose things to a machine when somebody's not looking at them, you know, when they don't have to make an appointment or there's not mixed anxiety around it. And, you know, you can get pretty far with a bot and then have somebody do analysis and give you that kind of feedback. And so I really think that that is the future of it. I'm really excited to see where that's going to go. A lot of our competitors, like Talkspace, for example, they just had a future of therapy uh, conference. And it's really exciting. Thank you. That's interesting. And so what about you next three to five years? What are some of your, your other, your goals? Girl, <laughs> girl, I don't, it's really interesting because I'm a person who likes to like map things out. And I feel like, you know, five years bootstrapping a company is a long time. And, you know, I mean, we did raise some money after Y Combinator, but not like that much. So it was still like the last say this because it's I want her job um I talk about this a lot I'm actually a brand ambassador for an egg harvesting and freezing company called egg banks and that is because um a lot of my mentors especially here in New York are very generous very very supportive and I know a lot of women who you know between the ages of 25 and 35 those are the times that you're meant to either be building your career or building your family. Um, as you can tell by the first part of this interview, my family is very important to me. You know, my brothers and sisters are having nieces and nephews. So I froze my eggs this summer for my birthday. And I'm just very mindful of that time. I also remember that my mom kind of not left, but really wasn't around, you know, like mm-hmm. through middle school. And that was also a time where I became very independent. My mom and I, and my dad and I are very close now, but I don't want to have scraps left over for my husband. I don't want to have scraps left over for my kids. Um, so I'm trying to work backwards so I can have, I'm 32 now that like I'll be in a good place to have kids, um, in about two or three years. So that is, so that's another reason why I'm shifting gears. And instead of just being like the all consuming CEO and founder, um, getting the company to a place where either it runs itself or I can just build out a larger team and build a solid infrastructure. So I'm not just like in startup level the whole time. So I'm mindful of that. And then, um, I've actually been doing more and more, like I do podcasts. I do have two shows in the works. So we actually did a show. Yeah. I've been doing more talks. Um, you know, I did my TED Talk last year. I do. I'm a Fox and Friends weekend contributor. I mean, I do a lot of panels, um, and I have a speaker agency, um, and so they do po- talks for me as well. And so something that came from that is the show on YouTube. You're not, not crazy is a, a web series on YouTube, and it's myself um, and um, Karen from Be Proud, which is basically YouTube for women. And we wanted to create a kind of mental health variety show and kind of apply a lightness of touch to therapy. And so it's my and like four to six female comedians and they you know do their bits like on mental health and just like regular life stuff like imposter syndrome dating kids no kids and then you know how kind of comedians kind of hang out after the show and just you know talk and so we do a little round table and I'm the resident therapist and that so I'm co-host and co-producer if you're not crazy uh we did season one just little five to seven minute episodes on YouTube and um 
And so that's You're Not Crazy. So we're looking at season two now, and then we're talking. I'm not allowed to talk about the second one, but it's mostly about, like, female entrepreneurs. and Because I really, 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 really support other women trying to get it done because I just feel like there's so much you don't know and you don't have access to the right networks. And everything I have, that I mean, my mentors and friends and advisors here are very generous with their time. Women who, like, I didn't even know what an MVP was, you know, when I met some of these women. And they, mm-hmm. they always took me seriously and they always helped guide me. Um, so I do, I'm really into the idea of the fempire and mentoring and things like that. So that, so that's another TV project that we're working on. Um, so yeah, I hope to do more with that just because like when, when I, my goal with, you're not with, um, in your corner was really to just make the benefits of therapy more widely available. And so I, I just want people to know the truth about like entrepreneurship just so they don't feel locked out, just so it doesn't feel so impossible or so overwhelming. So I, I just love telling that story, um, and just encouraging people to go for it. Yeah, and I like you're such a great model of they say that you know the new job is so many different things. You've taken, you know, therapy to being an entrepreneur to creating shows and you're just such a builder <laughs> and I can see um there's so much potential when when you love what you do like like you and you just keep building from there. So um excited to see where exactly. you go next. Yeah, um and then Thank uh, you. Yeah, and what about uh before we go any recommendations, resources, any other things you'd like to say or maybe where people can find you for people who are listening and are very inspired by the work that you're doing? Yeah, so as far as entrepreneurship, I definitely recommend Y Combinator did a lot for me. Um, so did Women 2.0. I mean, everything changed when I went out to San Francisco. As much as I think kind of the Valley is kind of a one-note town, you do kind of get the idea of what it's like to build an infrastructure to build a billion dollar profile and what it takes to get the, and the people out there are just so smart. I mean, all they do is build and, and things fail a lot, you know, so they, they learn quickly over there and they don't take it as personally. So if you can get access to the YCOM, I, I literally thought that YC was way too good for me. And Jessica Livingston, who's one of the co-founders, she, I was doing a pitch competition and she was on my panel and she was like, you should apply. And I did. And we got in, but I never would have. So I just say, go for it. I say, read blogs like Seth Godin's blog is amazing he has a really 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 fantastic program for women and women entrepreneurs um james altucher is awesome and he's actually a friend i remember like two or three years ago i was crying whether or not i could like close the company i was with my family and they were like why are you still working over there and i was actually writing to james altucher being like should i close this company and now he's a friend and i've been over his house and i hang out with his girlfriend so um i love him i love seth godin i love yeah it's crazy like i love marie forleo and i'm not that special like the only the difference between successful people and people who don't make it is persistence you know i mean they're really really brilliant talented people you know like the worst thing in the world is wasted talent who and the smartest people if you don't work at it, if you don't keep growing um, that's why I say you have to know what you don't know. If you think you've got it all figured out, if you're cocky, if you're like, don't worry about it, I don't need this, like you're dead in the water because the world, look how much the world has changed even in the last five years. Keep growing, keep learning, keep knowing, keep connecting with people. I always try to make time for people to reach out to me because so many people helped me. So read the blogs, you know, do the work, tell everybody, you know, be very modest. Like, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or, you know, like non-technical and because I'm really silly too. If somebody would say something, I'd be like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means, you know, but I would rather them tell me what it means than me waste six months trying to figure it out by myself. You know, time is super valuable, especially when you're building. So, uh, um, I really love those blogs. Joanne Wilson's blog, um, Gotham Gal, is excellent as well. She's now a friend too. So just keep reading. Really, really read. I like Tony Robbins. Um, go to talks. Not too many talks. Don't waste your, waste your time at like any old conference. But um, yeah, a lot of the people that I know I've met from networking. All the things that I have. I didn't do it by myself. It's a community. So find your tribe. I love it. Thank you so, so much. I've so enjoyed Thank that. Thank you. Getting to know you. 